Andre Dawson, Hall of Famer from the Chicago Cubs, and you're listening to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast featuring everybody's favorite coach, Coach Manaman. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Manaman. This podcast is produced on Anchor, where you can record, edit, and publish all from your smartphone. You can find the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any other major podcast platforms. Stepping to the batter's box. Welcome fans of the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast, and boy, I can tell you this is one that I am excited for. A couple weeks ago on Facebook, I did a live Q&A, and everybody was reaching out to me how they wanted me to talk with Hall of Fame coaches Jerry Rowling, Dick Core, and Ed Fan. Well, today, that is coming true. We are joined by all three of those coaches. Before we reach out to them and start asking them some questions, we do have to give them a proper introduction. First Hall of Fame member going in alphabetical order so people don't complain to me that I was playing favorites from Hempstead High School, Coach Dick Core. Hall of Fame member. He also did coach at East Dubuque and Dubuque Senior. He's got a career record of 650 and 344 and is the owner of four state championships for the Dubuque Hempstead Mustangs. Our next Hall of Fame coach joining us today is Ed Fan. I like to call him the master of the suicide squeeze. He is a Hall of Famer from Dubuque Wallard, and he owns a career record of 554 victories to only 383 losses. Our next Hall of Fame coach to join us, newly inducted into the new Cascade Hall of Fame, Jerry Rowling from Dubuque Wallard, Cascade, Holy Cross, and Leo High School, who owns a career record of 1,000 22 victories to only 527 losses. In 2012, he was the National High School Athletic Coaches Association Coach of the Year, number five on the all-time career wins list for the state of Iowa. Welcome Coach Rowling, Coach Core, and Coach Fayan to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. Now, I'm going to turn over the microphone because you guys have heard me talk way too much. And my first question here, I know all about your coaching careers, but one thing that I've never really have talked to either one of you three about are your playing careers. We know that you had great careers as coaches, but we'll start with Coach Rowling. Coach Rowling, where did you play uh, high school baseball? Did you go on at all to play college baseball? And did you play professional baseball at all? And I grew up in the town of Holy Cross, uh, played youth baseball up there. Uh, once I got into high school as a freshman, which was Leo Holy Cross High School the first two years. And uh, the last two years, it would have changed over to Leo High School. 
yeah, as a freshman, I was fortunate enough to start on the varsity uh, for quite a bit of the year. And there was one game in particular there I distinctly remember. Uh, Dubuque Wallard was ranked number one in the state, and that was when with only one class. So they come up there one afternoon to play, and we were thinking that the game got canceled because of wet field conditions, but that did not get communicated, obviously, to Wallard. So they show up at our place behind school, and uh, they're in their uniforms, ranked number one in the state, and we are little old Leo High School, you know, some guys had gone home already from school or on their way home, and some of us were hanging around school. And uh, when they showed up, some of us were still there, and the two coaches got together and decided we're going to play the game. So uh, we were in a practice or tire, and uh, umpires, I guess the two coaches decided that uh, somebody would run over to the tavern in Holy Cross and pick up two umpires. And uh, so they did, and uh, the game was played. And we ended up winning the game 8-5, to five, believe it or not. Uh, Waller threw their number three pitcher at that time. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I think we were down, I think, 4-3 to three and, went, or four to three and went ahead 5-4 to four or something like that. And then we ended up winning 8-5. to five. And I, I do remember after the game that Coach Ed Colbert, who was their renowned basketball coach at Waller, was also baseball coach at that time. And, uh, after the game, I know his players gathered, and they started running for a while in the outfield, and uh, we went in and changed and got ready to go home. We came back out, and they were still running in the outfield. So, uh, yeah, so that was a, a remembrance I have, which is kind of interesting. And uh, my senior – or uh, two weeks later, I guess I should say, before I get into my senior year, uh, two weeks later we played them in the, in the sectional tournament. So – uh, we had faced her number three the first time around. This time we were facing their number one. And their number one happened to be Bill Burbach, who ended up being drafted on the first round in the first year of the amateur draft by the New York Yankees. So we played them at West Dubuque in the, in the sectional tournament. They beat us five to nothing, so they got revenge over us. But, you know, we felt pretty good, you know, playing them that well, you know, with their best on the mound and everything. I think, you know, we only had a few base runners in that game. Uh, senior year, uh, we ended up going to the fall state tournament semis. We got beat by Norway, uh, and Norway is uh, one of the exceptional teams or in the in the state, obviously. And Dick McVeigh, one of their probably one of their best pitchers ever, from what some of the Nor Norway players say. Uh, and we ended up losing four to two in eleven innings. So that was a, a a great memory for me from my high school days, and and that carried over into Loris College, in which I. Uh, I, play, I started, I think I was fortunate to start four years there. My first two years, I played shortstop. In my last two years, I played second base. And uh, our senior year, you know, we ended up uh, missing nationals by one game. And uh, a credit to this area, five of our eight position starters at that time were from Dubuque County. And then one other kid was from Norway. So six of our eight starters were from Eastern Iowa. So we felt pretty good about that. And... Uh, so, yeah, so, and then after that, after the college playing days, I went to play semi-pro. Like I said, I played with and against Ed Fan and uh, had some great memories from all those 20 years of semi-pro baseball. And we go to Dick Core from Hempstead. Same questions, Coach Core. Where did you play high school baseball at? Did you play college baseball? Did you play in the professional ranks at all? As a youth, I... Went to many different schools before I graduated from high school. 
I played actually high school baseball in Albert Lee, Minnesota and Fort Dodge, Iowa. And I then went to Fort Dodge Junior College and Iowa State University. And I was a pitcher, third baseman. And uh, my senior year at Iowa State, I hurt my arm and never really played a whole lot after that. Coach Fans, same questions to you. Where did you play high school baseball at? Did you play at the college level? And did you play in the professional ranks at all? Well, I played uh, three years of varsity baseball at Waller, believe it or not. And uh, a little side note, while I was playing high school baseball at Waller, uh, Dick Corr was the varsity baseball coach at Dubuque Senior. I mean, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. You can do the math on, on that part there. But uh, he was coaching at senior when I was playing at Waller. But uh, uh, after Waller, I, I went to Iowa, and I walked on at Iowa, and I was fortunate enough to make the team at Iowa. Uh, fortunate and unfortunate. Uh, uh, I played junior varsity, and on the varsity, I played by behind uh, – catch. I was a catcher. And I played behind uh, Jim Sunberg. I don't know if you ever heard of him or not. He was pretty good in the 70s and 80s. He was a six-time gold glove winner, three all-star teams. Um, and uh, that's the reason I never played professionally. There was two reasons I never played professionally. One was Jim Sunberg, and the other was that I wasn't very good. <laughs> but I did, I did have a really nice, neat experience our junior year. Uh, we won the Big Ten championship and went to the College World Series, and I was a small, small, small part of that and just in the right place at the right time, and that's the only time I was ever gone to the College World Series, so I'm pretty proud of just, you know, being a part of that. Um, also played in Dubuque here. We had what was called the Holy Name League. That's probably before your time, but all the, the Catholic parishes in Dubuque had uh, teams and a lot of good players. We had a really competitive league, played Holy Name Ball, and then I played for uh, Keeler, Ball Town, and then eventually when the Dubuque Blues uh, were formed, I, I played with them. Uh, Jerry and I have been teammates off and on and opponents off and on over the years. He's maybe a year or so older than me, but uh, uh, we've, we've, uh, we've known each other for a long time, but it was a great experience. So I will say uh, my senior year at Iowa, I was second team All-Big Ten bullpen catcher. Oh, nice. That's, that's an award not too many people earn. I wish I would have known that for your introduction. Well, I would have put that in there. It's, it's not known. It's not too well known, but uh, I was right up there as far as bullpen catchers went. Very, very but cool. But that's it. I know that yeah. bullpen catchers in the major leagues make roughly $92,000 a year. Too bad well, you couldn't continue that. I, I often told my, my uh, wife and, and some of my kids, I said, you know, I, I wish I would have been good enough to even be a bullpen catcher because they make a decent salary, you know, a decent living. But, uh, no, it was, a, it was a great time and, and uh, one of the highlights of my uh, baseball, baseball career, I guess you could say. Now, we have years and years of coaching experience here. My first question about how you got into coaching, we'll go to Dick Core. So Coach Core from Hempstead, how did you get into coaching? And I'll follow it up with what was your favorite part about coaching? I think that uh, I loved teaching and coaching is simply being a good teacher 
and it was just natural. I love sports. I played football, basketball, baseball, and he went out for track for a few years. In high school, I, I just loved athletics, and it was a natural to to do that when I got in high school. I, um, and I can say I enjoyed about 45 years of coaching football, basketball, and baseball. And sometimes I wonder if if I hurt my family with it, but my wife and kids have attended a lot of games over the years. My wife is probably the greatest fan in Dubuque, I would think, for all the sports. We still go to all the ball games over at Hempstead uh, and senior and forward occasionally. Um, so it was it was kind of a natural thing for me to do. I actually went to college to be an aerospace engineer, but I got in there at the wrong time. It was just after Sputnik had gone up, and that was the natural. The, the counselors all said, oh, you love math and science. That's the thing to do. But I found out my senior year, it was one of those things. It was kind of like my uh, youth. I went to like 13 different schools before I graduated from high school. My dad was a salesman, and he would go in and build up a territory, and we'd move on in a year or so. And it was a very difficult thing to do. And that's kind of what they were telling me in the orientation classes that I would be doing uh, all over the Dallas to, to uh, all the aircraft plants because you'd be a planner, you'd go in and design things. And that didn't really appeal to me. And besides that, there were a bunch of uh, PhD engineers coming back called and they want to be aerospace and there were no jobs at that point they were all filled they said you're going to be having a tough time getting a job so a counselor said all your tests say that you love teaching why don't you become a teacher for a while then i never left i loved it and when people found out i was going to be doing this a lot of your former players that i know reached out to me and wanted me to say thank you for them. Joe Murray was one that comes to mind. Coach Fayan, same question for you. How did you get into coaching and what was your favorite part of coaching? Well, when I graduated from high school, I was going to be a banker, believe it or not. And uh, my freshman year in Iowa, I was taking the courses for being a banker. And it was about three hours before I was supposed to go register for second semester. And I'm laying there in the dorm room and I'm thinking, I don't know, this, this banking, I'm not sure I'm cut out for this. And, and I thought, what do I, like, what do I like to do? And i had been working for the city of Dubuque in the rec department, coaching Little League and, and on the rec department and that. And, and I thought, well, I like kids. I like working with kids, and I love baseball. And I thought, well, the heck with it. And it was kind of a stereotypical thing at the time. So I thought, well, I'm going to major in phys ed and minor in math because I wanted to teach you the phys ed or math, and I went over and, and uh, changed my whole major and everything, and the rest, is, as they say, is history, I guess. But uh, So it was kind of a quick decision, but I just kind of went with what I thought I would really like to do with my life, you know, my, my heart, I guess you could say. And my, my favorite part of, practice, or of, of uh, coaching was practice. I always liked the practice part because you could work with the kids. I always said practice is for the coaches and the games are for the kids. And, you know, you could work with the kids and come up with some drills and try to try to get them to become a little bit better and, and more skilled. And so that, that was my favorite part of, of coaching. 
Ed, we're glad that you went into teaching and coaching. Uh, Brennan McCarron and uh, Mark Stoyer both reached out to me when I saw that I was going yeah. to be interviewing you. And Brennan McCarron said, say, say hi to Steady Eddie McCarron for me. And Mark <laughs> Stoyer said the same thing. Coach Rowling, what got you into coaching and what was your favorite part? Well, uh, sports was always a big part of my life. I grew up playing every game that I could play with neighbor kids, friends, you know, different different levels and so forth. And uh, once I got into high school, I had my mind made up already. I wanted to be a coach. Uh, there were some coaches that influenced me at that time already. And then just watching some coach TV and things. I mean, three coaches that just can't come to mind immediately for me would be uh, Dean Smith and Johnny Wooden and Vince Lombardi. Now, Nick, you probably don't remember any of those three. But I recognize uh, the rest all of us three. Remember those three guys? What's that? I do recognize all three of them, Coach. <laughs> oh, do you? Well, good, good. So, yeah, so anyway, I just, you know, coaching was just kind of a continuation or a follow-up, you know, of my playing days, and I wanted to do that. And, uh, Ed, I don't think you ever knew this probably, but when I went to college, I wanted to be a math teacher and coach. So, I but I got uh, trigonometry my freshman year at Loris. Uh, the professor and I didn't get along real well, so it kind of switched <laughs> over to the physical education department at that time. So, yeah. So, anyway, the favorite part of coaching, I have several of them, honestly. Uh, first of all, like I, I just absolutely practice. Whenever a season was over, regardless of how it ended, Missed the point of practice the next day, making plans, working with the kids, and so forth. Some other areas I think that are favorites also, though, would be uh, game competition. You know, I love to compete. You know, all three of us, you know, grew up as athletes and coaches. You know, competition was a big part of our lives. Uh, developing a player relationship, uh, you know, getting to know kids, you know, a little bit about their personal lives and so forth. I always tried to develop that, and I think kids appreciated that over the years, and Another part of it that I really enjoyed was getting to meet new coaches. You know, that's why, you know, switching schools for me at, you know, different times was, was good for me. And uh, just, yeah, I've developed a lot of great friendships over the years from coaches throughout the state of the Iowa because of the association. And uh, those are things that I'll cherish the rest of my life. And coach, recently I met with former people that you coached with uh, Coach Corey Tischer and Andrew Reese and, and Roman Hummel, and they sent uh, pleasant words your way. Now, we're going to enter the newest segment of the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast, which is the seventh inning stretch. And the seventh inning stretch is audience-driven questions. Now, normally, when I do a show, I put out a picture of the guest or guest and ask for audience feedback. And usually I get about two to six questions. But by the time I was finished with this, I think I had received about 35 different questions. So people are interested to hear from you guys. We'll go to Ed Fayen first. And the first question comes from Aaron Sogling, who I believe if I remember correctly from my playing days had a nickname of Smoke, but I could be wrong. And the question... That's right. Okay, good. And the question for all of you guys is... What is one of your greatest accomplishments and regret during your coaching career? Coach Fan? Well, um, I think probably my, what I felt was, and it's not just my greatest accomplishment, but I felt that 
I got the Waller program, the baseball program, to be a respected program. And, and I don't mean this as a slight to anybody before this, but when I, went, when I started at Waller, basketball was the, the king of the jungle pretty much. And, and, and it's still obviously, you know, a big part of Waller tradition. But baseball was kind of like an afterthought. When I started, our infield was a limestone infield that had cement cinder blocks and two boards for benches. And I guess what I'm proudest of, and, and this certainly isn't just me, but it, it was the fact that we were pretty much, not always, but pretty much always ranked in the top 10 in 4A almost every year. You know, not every year, but quite a few of the years that I was there and by the time I left. And, and to me, that was something that said, you know, all our baseballers respected, not not me, I'm not trying to say me, but the players and the coaches that have had gone through there and helped build that program. And that's kind of like a, you know, an overall kind of a uh, nice going or a credit to the program. So I was pretty proud of that accomplishment. It was just getting the program up to where it was, was always mentioned in one of the top 10 in the state of Iowa. Um, disappointments, uh, probably I would say that we didn't win a state championship. I, I'll be honest with you. In my mind, we won it several times, but, uh, in reality, we just didn't. We didn't. Uh, is it a regret? No, it's not a regret. It's a disappointment, but not a regret because I feel you know every team that I had did their did their best. Uh, you know, you get a break here or there, and and uh, you know to win a win a state championship in baseball is pretty tough. I mean, you think about it in basketball, you're probably going to put your best five out there every day. In football, you're going to put your best eleven out there most of the time. In baseball. That's not always the case. You know, like Earl Weaver always says, momentum is the next day's starting pitcher. So, you know, you, you have maybe one good pitcher, but that's not necessarily going to win you a state tournament. you got to have, you know, some luck and, and, and have some good pitching and stuff like that. So that would be probably the biggest regret or not regret, like I said, but a disappointment. And, uh, you know, I'd be honest with you if I didn't, if I didn't say it that way. But uh, those are the two things that uh, I was kind of proudest of uh, and regretful, I guess, if you want to say regretful, uh, at my time at Waller. And Coach Rowling, how about you? Your greatest accomplishment and regret or disappointment in your coaching career? Okay, as far as the, one of my greatest accomplishments is concerned in coaching, uh, first of all, I'm hoping I was a positive role model for my players. Uh, hoping I helped them in the development of young adults, you know, uh, into being successful and very, uh, very good adults as well. Uh, my one regret would probably be, uh, it's more of a disappointment, like Ed said, is that I was, my teams were not able to win a state championship, you know. In the worst way, I wanted our players to be able to experience that, along with their parents and community. Uh, there were several teams that I certainly saw, thought were deserving uh, of being there and were that good. I know there were a number of times on the tournament trail uh, that the team that beat us went on to win the state championship. So I feel we were right there with them, but for whatever reason, uh, we were not able to accomplish that. Uh, irregardless of the memories and experiences along the way, though, they were still as precious, you know, even though we didn't win the state championship, I certainly relished all those experiences and the individuals that I got to work with. And then certainly, you know, with the, I'd like to congratulate Dick here on him winning the four champion, 
the four his teams winning the four state championships. Thanks, Coach, for sharing that. Now, Coach Cor, I'm guessing that you're going to have four accomplishments that you're going to talk about here for your greatest accomplishments. But, Coach Cor, same thing. Greatest accomplishments in coaching and then one disappointment that you may have had. Well, first of all, gentlemen, I didn't win any state championships. I never got a hit. I never scored a run. All I did is make errors. So it was teams, and we always, at least I felt, it was a we situation. The teams do it. The coaches help. Hopefully, have a lot to do with it. But the players do the playing, and you need a few good hops and all that. Yeah, we did win four state championships. We really had the horses. And uh, my accomplishment-wise, I felt I got a chance a lot of people don't have. I got to start a new school and start the baseball program at Hempstead. And that first year, we didn't have seniors. We just played a JV schedule. And within four years of the school opening, we did win our first state championship. And uh, that was certainly a thrill. And it was a bunch of great players again. We had uh, one make the major leagues out of that group. It was definitely a great group of players. Uh, we also uh, went on to win four state championships, and I think is an accomplishment for the school. Something like Ed, just tradition of the school. The first four times we went to state, we won championships, and we had a 9-0 and record at the time. And as far as I can go back in the record books, nobody has ever done that. And I think as a school and a tradition, that is something, it's a little badge to put on your chest, I guess, as, as teams and as a school. And uh, my biggest regret, I think, was retiring. I maybe retired a little too early, even though I did retire from Hempstead and uh, and ended up going over to East Dubuque just to fill in for a while and ended up staying there 12 years. Uh, I was helped in uh, being an assistant coach and did continue on. But I really do miss the coaching and teaching. I still have dreams at night doing problems on the board in math as a math teacher also within. And coaching, I sit up on the hill now watching games, wondering why did I ever quit? I I still enjoy it. I don't know why I'm not down there other than my wife had asked me after 35 years of marriage, we've never had a vacation because of summer baseball. And uh, we have had some nice trips, but I really, that is probably my biggest regret is retiring. I, I miss ball games. All right. Now we're going to go to coach rolling. And this question comes from Scott Miller, and it's a three-part question. What games through the years do you remember well? What games do you still regret losing? And what memories do you have coaching against each other? Coach Rowling, you're up. First of all, the games uh, that I remember well from Holy Cross would have been our you know, we had a nice win against West Dubuque. I know one of the years that I was there, and they were a school, you know, in our district and probably four times the size we were, so I can remember a win there. You know, the Beckman uh, the Beckman rivalry kind of started up on a little lesser scale there at Leo than it, than it came into at Cascade. But uh, So the Beckman games, Cascade games, and Farley St. Joe's games, those were the ones I kind of remember from Holy Cross. At Cascade, obviously, it was the Beckman rivalry. I mean, there were Beckman games that were, there were like one to 2,000 people at the ball games. And 
I just don't think there's many schools in the state of Iowa where the players could experience such an atmosphere. You know, there would be during the days people would be putting blankets on the seats and reserving their seats for that night. You know, even regular season games, but certainly you know tournament games that came up at the end of the year. Uh, also, the games, you know, for conference and sub-state titles, uh, those were certainly games that I, I distinctly remember. Uh, the three games going to the state, you know, in 82, uh, we beat Davis County. Uh, Kevin Ritz, a former major leaguer, uh, who pitched, ended up pitching for the Tigers for a number of years in the majors. We were fortunate enough to beat him. You know, we were able to manufacture some runs and hang on at the end. Uh, the next game, I think we beat, I think I'm pretty sure it was an Al-Qaeda team in 99 that we beat you know, at our place in Cascade to go. And I think there was a play at the plate. We threw somebody out of the plate. That would have been the tying run late in the game. And then in 04, we we beat Wilton uh, in a very low-scoring game, two quality pitchers throwing against each other. And uh, yeah, extremely well-played game, and we were at, uh, fortunate to win there. You know, at Wallert, the games I remember probably would be the city games, you know, always, you know, the Hempstead senior game, certainly. Uh also, though, I remember, you know, being in the Valley for the first time, you know, for me, it was a big deal to play in the coach in the Valley. You know, it was tough to leave Cascade, but you know, I had an opportunity to coach in probably the best baseball league in the state of Iowa. So that certainly influenced me in my decision to take advantage of that opportunity. Uh, Iowa City Schools, Cedar Rapids Schools, had, you know, had some great players, you know. Uh, the win versus DeWitt. Uh, to go to the state tournament, you know, when I was at Wallert, uh, that was a walk-off suicide, you know, against T.J. Sigma. Uh, the name should ring a bell probably to you, Nick. Uh, pitched for Missouri, and then he's pitching in the minor leagues. Uh, not right now, but at this time. So, yeah, and tough losses. Uh, there's two or three that stick out in my mind. You know, there was a tough loss to Xavier for the conference championship in 07. And, uh it was bottom of the seventh uh, with scores tied, bases loaded, one out. Uh, we had a left-handed batter at the plate, and you know, actually we had the suicide sign on, uh, but the pitch uh, was a curveball that was coming. We had a left-handed hitter, and right at the end he turned to get out of the way, and he got hit. So we're conference champions in our mind at that time. Our players come running out of the dugout. Uh, their players you know, are coming off the field with their heads down. All of a sudden, I see the home plate umpire throwing his arms up. No time out, wait, or whatever. Uh, he did not make an attempt to get out of the way. So he said the batter turned into the pitch rather than trying to get away from the pitch, and uh, we proceeded to lose the game in extra innings. Uh, tough loss. Uh, okay, that was that was to Xavier. Another t- tough loss for us was to Witt. And, and DeWitt in 2011, and that was probably, probably you know, our best team, you know, that we had at Wallert. You know, uh, we were playing, we got beat 9-7 to seven, uh, by DeWitt. Uh, we had first and second, bottom of the seventh, I think it was, and we had a, a great hitter at the plate, and it's a line shot to left field, and thinking left fielder, you know, as a lot of outfielders do, come charging in sometimes on those line drives, and all of a sudden they start to rise. Well, this kid comes running in, and all of a sudden that DM with the ball, I'm sure behind his head when he made the catch, but he just threw his arm up in the air, and the ball went the glove, and the game was over, and we lose, and instead of coming out, they're winners. 
A couple tough losses at Cascade uh, that would come to mind would be in Mount Vernon uh, in 2007. Uh, you know, that was probably, yeah, or let me see, in 07. Yeah, or in 97, rather. That would have been 97, okay? That was probably the best team uh, that I had in Cascade as well. You know, that game, I'll talk a little bit about it further, too, about when we get into the umpires thing. But, uh, yeah, we, we lose that day, that day there with a 5-3 to three loss. And uh, that was a very, very tough one for us to take, you know. So, And then in Beckman, I can remember one game, I can still see a home run ball going over the fence and games tied late in the game, and that was the deciding factor in the game. That would have been with one of those games, you know, but with the lots of people at as well. Okay, and then in conjunction with this question, I think uh, in regards to coaching against Dick and Ed, uh, you know, every time we played each other, you know, I knew they were going to be a very well-coached team. They would be prepared, prepared, disciplined, and and execute very well. Uh, I thought we competed very well against uh, the Wallert and uh, Hempstead schools at that time when I was at Cascade. I do remember one game against Dick. Uh, one of the first few years of coaching for me, at least, he had been in a little while, but we played, I think we played him in the district finals at Cascade, and that's when there were, I think there were two classes at that time, and we were being in the same class. Uh, we ended up, uh, we got beat two to one. I think I remember the score being, uh, we were down two to one. We got down one to, uh, one, two nothing early, and then we came back, and our pitcher did a great job of pitching after that point. Uh, I think it was in the Fifth or sixth inning, we had first and second and nobody out, or one out. First and second, one out. Or no, I guess it was nobody out. Okay? So, on, and in fact, instead of using that situation, I will always bunt. Well, this time, I, my number three hitter was up and four hitter was up. I bunt my number three hitter, and the number four hitter is probably going to get walked, and then neither one of my two best hitters get a chance to swing. So I uh, decide to let him swing away, and he just hits an absolute line shot. You know, where he catches it, steps on third for a double play. So we did not score in that inning. So that was one game I do remember playing against Dick in the tournament. I don't think Ed and I played against each other in any other tournament. Uh, Dick reminds me once in a while, you know, about uh, the one game in which they were down four or five runs late. And all of a sudden, uh, I think it was bottom of the seventh, and they beat us in a walk-off somehow. And Dick tends to remind me of that on occasion. Coach Cora, same question. What games do you remember throughout the years? What games do you regret losing? And memories coaching against Coach Rowling and Coach Fan? Uh, my first one, uh, games remembered, would be that first state championship. Uh, Dubuque, Hempstead, people said, is that that Catholic school in Dubuque? Did nobody know who Hempstead was. They thought we were like a Waller. And we had to give them an education. Uh, Hempstead was the second governor of Iowa. And you had to explain why they named it after the second governor of Iowa. It was because he was from Dubuque. So we got that established, that we were a public school. But that first state championship, uh, we had a two-to-one game with Burlington. We had one hit in the game. It was the first pitch of the game. It was a line drive hit down the left field. That our catcher, uh, Greg Barrett, ended up getting a in the park home run out of it. And it was a close play at the plate, and that was our only hit of the game. But we won two to one. And the last 
pitch of the game, they had a man on third base in the bottom of the seventh, and a kid hit a ball, which I thought was a routine fly ball to left field. Jeff Barrett, who was the left fielder, is going back, going back, running back finally, and he ends up making a catch right at the fence to win the game. And I think that was cloud nine. It was nothing to top that. At first time, a bunch of upstarts won a tournament. Uh, another one I'd like to mention, though, a doubleheader once we had at Linmar. It was a doubleheader under the lights. We started at 530, and our first game was a long game. We, we won like 7-4, to four, but it was 830 before we got the second game started. But that second game goes 18 innings, and we get done at 2 o'clock in the morning. And this day be- thing before cell phones, we couldn't tell parents where their kids were, and the few parents who were there couldn't do anything about it. And uh, it was an exciting game. Actually, I think it was tied 3-3 at the end of uh, 7, and it ended up like 13-10. to 10. And there were a lot of runs scored because we both ran out of pitching. And I, uh, finally, in the 18th inning, we won the 13-10. to 10. But another anecdote on the side, my wife is sitting with some, some uh, fans from Linmar, and one of the mothers, and she were getting friendly, and after 11 innings of that second game, uh, Jim Callahan is our catcher. He's been catching the whole first game and up 11 innings in the second. She said, oh, they're finally taking that, that poor catcher out. He's been catching all night. Elaine said, yeah, now he's coming in to pitch for a few innings. And he pitched a few innings and then went back and caught the rest of the game. It was just one of those things that just kind of caught our fancy. That, but it, it was a, probably the highlight of a, a career of things that maybe I, I can't match it with anything. And uh, it was just a good story. Uh, regret uh, games we lost, I would say all the ones we lost. But that's the idea. You're supposed to try to win them. But there was one that was special. It was against uh, West Dubuque, the first round of the tournament. We'd been ranked number one in the second half of the uh, season, number one. And we'd just beaten West Dubuque by the 10-run rule a week earlier. And we'd beaten them earlier in the season also. So we started out the game. And again, I mentioned a few names here, but they were special. Jay Potts was our pitcher, our ace pitcher. He had walked five batters in something like 50 innings during the season. He walked the first two batters of the game. And I had a feeling something was not going to go our way. And we ended up using four pitchers and making five errors. And West Dubuque won nine to three. And it was just one of those games we could have played all day and they were going to win that game. It just wasn't our day and it wasn't going to happen. And it was a great disappointment, uh, even though the kids had a great season. But if I could have that one back and just say two overs, I would have done it. And then how about coaching against uh, Coach Rowling and Coach Fan? Any memories of coaching against those yeah, guys. All, all of, there was a lot of great memories, but I remember one, uh, and this really didn't have much to do with the game necessarily, but over at Waller one night, uh, they had an umpire behind the plate and he happened to have a son on the sophomore team and I knew him well. He was a good umpire. I enjoyed him and things were going okay f- for us and all of a sudden some of the guys behind the plate from Waller started yelling, Hey, and I won't use the name, but 
Ed will probably remember. They thought there were some close pitches that should have been called that didn't get called. We're going to kick you out of the booster club if you don't start calling those. Not at all. <laughs> you might as well go home. This is over. Get the stuff sacked up, guys. Well, he got ticked. And all of a sudden, the Waller strike zone became like the size of a postage stamp. And we ended up winning the game. And I thought, whoa, now I really do like it. I, I won't mention his name, but he's uh, – Just for your information, Dick, for your information, he did get kicked out of the booster club after that then, too. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. He died a couple of years ago. Anyway. He, yeah, I think I do. It was just one of those times as a coach you think, this is it. We might as well go home. Uh, and against Cascade, we seem to always play them in uh, the middle of the week when we both had conference games on both sides on Mondays and Fridays, and we didn't have much pitching left for the middle of the week. And we had a lot of 16 to 15 games and 17 to 15 games. Uh, they were great games, but uh, never really the ones that we wish we could have had maybe with our ace pitchers going against each other, but we had some great games. I, a lot of good ones out there. Surprise, Dick, you're not talking about that game you came back in the last inning. You tell me about the game every time you see me. Uh, yeah, right. And I think <laughs> I also remind you, I think we won the last 15 times we played you, too. <laughs> I think you did, yeah. I think that's right, yes. <laughs> Coach Fayen, same same three questions. What games through the years do you remember well? What regrets do you have? What games that you lost? And memories coaching against Coach Core and Coach Rowling? Uh, good memories. Um, our ninth, the 1985 team, I don't know, I've been coaching Waller for about five years, and uh, we wound up uh, the first team probably in 20 years, and we went to the state tournament. And back in those days, in 1985, they only took four teams to the state tournament. They, they widened the field out years later. But uh, So that, that was a pretty good accomplishment. And it was kind of a team that didn't have a lot of big names or anything. In fact, I'll tell you a story, which uh, it's kind of weird. But during the middle of the season, we were on about a six-game losing streak. And I thought, God, we got to do something to shake things up. So I said, boys... Today we're picking the, the, the batting order out of a hat. So I put the starter's name in a hat, and I started picking them out. And the one kid goes, Coach, are you really going to do this? And I said, yeah, what, are you afraid we're going to lose? And by golly, we won a doubleheader that day. And I'm not saying that's what got us to the state tournament, but it was just that kind of a season. And so you always remember that one as far as making it to the state tournament uh, the first time for, for the school in a long, long time. And then in 90, 92, 92, we had a team that we went down to Waterloo West, and they were the defending state champions, and we wound up beating them at their home park to go to the state tournament. So those are two of the games that really stick out of my mind. I will mention this one against Hempstead. Dick wasn't the coach at the time, but – we're playing Hempstead down at Petrakis Park. We got a one-run lead, um, top of the seventh. We were the home team, but it's the top of the seventh. The bases are loaded, and Smoke Sogling, in fact, was pitching. Bases loaded, two outs, 3-1 count on the batter. And I'm thinking, oh, God, you know, and he was having trouble finding the, the strike zone. So I went out there, and I said, just throw a strike. We'll get you an out. So I go back in, and he throws pitch, and the ump makes a signal, 
like he sort of halfway raises his hand like it's going to be a strike. But instead, what he was motioning was the ball was outside. Well, the runner on third base thought he was signaling um, ball four, but it was actually he was calling it a strike. And the runner off third starts walking home thinking that it was ball four, and we pick him off third and win the ball game. That was the third out to win the game. And, I mean, it was just – it was crazy. Dick wasn't there at the time, but – I was. I have watched Well, you might have been in the stands anyway, but yep. uh, that was that was quite a win for us. Um, disappointing was probably 1993, that same team or a lot of the same team that we went to the state tournament with the year before. Uh, we had a phenomenal year. We were like 31-6. and six. And we're playing Kennedy to go to the state tournament, and we lost uh, down at it was supposed to be down in, in Cedar Rapids, but it got moved to Benton because of rain or something. And we wound up losing two to one on two unearned runs, and uh, or and you know, and that that was after having a year like that, it was really disappointing. I mean, you know, as a coach, you're disappointed, but for the kids, you really felt feel bad because. That was just a really tough, tough loss uh, for those kids. Uh, as far as coaching against these guys, you know, um, it was it was always a challenge. Uh, you knew the teams were going to be well coached. Uh, Dick and I, we always seemed to get along. Dick was very, very, uh, very good uh, sport about everything and very professional and and uh, always enjoyed playing them. Uh, Jerry, the same way. You know, we, we liked playing um out of Cascade because they were a good team or having them come to Dubuque. Uh, like like uh, Dick said, it gave us a chance, to, especially pitching-wise, it gave us a chance to get a couple of younger kids to go against some good competition. And, uh, you know, we always knew we'd have to score a bunch of runs because, uh, um, like Dick said, and, and you know, we the conference, we had double headers like on a Monday and Friday, I think at the time, or Tuesday and Friday. I can't remember how exactly it was set up, but so we didn't always have our ace pitcher going for us. But uh, the nice, the neat thing was to be able to have uh, some of these younger kids. We had a kid by the name of Nick Kirk who wound up signing a professional contract um, after his uh, senior year or uh, after his senior year in college, but uh, gave him a chance to, as a sophomore to come in and, and, uh, he, he found out what it's like to play against good competition that night, but uh, that was a good experience for him. So I enjoyed coaching against both of them. You know, it's something that probably you, you don't know, but, you know, we have a coaches association meeting every year. And I'd say 95% or more, the coaches, we go down there and there's good camaraderie. And I'll tell you something else, besides the coaches being there, the umpires are included with it. And I don't think there's many coaches associations in any sport where the umpires and the coaches get together and, and uh, spend, spend a weekend, you know, talking baseball and, and going over stuff. So uh, just a lot of good experiences like Joe, Jerry had said earlier, just getting to meet a lot of really nice quality guys coaching uh, other than maybe one or two over 27 years. Uh, just a great bunch of guys to know. Ed, Ed touched on it there that I couldn't have coached against two nicer guys and these two too so there it was a lot of fun coaching there's no question about it but these two guys were the two of the greatest gentlemen of any of them but again to, if i may um to, i was talking about the coaches association dick and i used to go to the association meetings together we'd room together we'd, we'd get a room together i mean that's you know we're rivalries city rivalries yet 
we room together. We go out for supper and stuff like that. I mean, how many co? You know, I don't see Nick Saban and who's the guy from Clemson <laughs> rooming together in a coach. Yeah, game. right. No offense, you know, but yeah. <laughs> so I mean, that that tells you. It's got to tell you something right there, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel the same. I feel the same way about you two guys. And Nick, I don't know if you knew this or not, but all three of us have had the chance to go through the chairs in the coaching association. So mm. we all went through the. Ended up to be president. Very cool. Thanks for uh, sharing those. Get sharing that, guys. Now the next round of questions come from Dubuque County Sports on Twitter, and we're starting with uh, Hall of Fame coach Dick Cor. And the first one is, how would those great teams from the 80s and 90s compare to the teams today? Now, Coach, Cor, I know you still go to Hempstead games because I see you at every one, and your first comment is always about how awful my hair looks on that day, just like you did in 99 when I played for you. But how would your great teams from the 80s and the 90s compare to the teams that you watch today? That is one difficult question because times have changed so much over the years. The kids are getting bigger and stronger. But I would like to think that a lot of those guys from the older days could hold their own and probably be as good, if not better, than a few of them today. But how do you tell? I, I have no idea that the bats changed so much over the years from being very uh, – favorable to the hitter to now back to more like a wood bat it's really hard to compare we had a kid hit 20 home runs one year with the bats they have today i don't think he would have gotten 20 but he it's just one of those things the pitchers the pitching maybe be a little more consistent we had some awfully good pitchers over the years we all did but how do they compare to today's i'm not sure i i, I would like to think a couple of them along the way were excellent pitchers, but how we match up to against today's teams, I really don't know. I, I'd like to think things have been fairly consistent over the years, and we've all had some great players. And I wouldn't mention many just because I'm going to miss somebody, and there's too many of them over a 45-year coaching record. Coach Fan, how would your great teams compare to the teams today? Oh, we we kill the teams today. Oh, I'm t- <laughs> Thanks, I'd love to say that, but I didn't dare. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing for all you kids out there that are playing high school ball. I'm just kidding. Um, I, I'd have to say the same thing. You know, there's been so many changes, like the bats and things like that. Uh, I don't know. The baseballs, are, you know, you, you hear the baseballs are changing every year at the professional level. I doubt if that's the same situation in the high school level. But I, I know – that some of the teams, at least that I coached, could hold their own. I, I, I definitely feel that for sure, you know, and, and I'm sure you get an argument both ways, but I, I know there were some, some pretty darn good pitchers, some pretty darn good hitters that uh, went through our system, and, and then the same for, for Dick and Jerry. And, and um, you know, a good ball player is a good ball player. I, you know, I think Joe DiMaggio could probably still do okay in the major leagues today, you know, and, and that's a – big big time difference right there but like you said they're bigger and stronger probably the biggest thing is the technology that you know from when we were coaching you know i guess a pitching machine was a cutting edge thing when when we were coaching and now you know you got launch angle and exit velocity and all this other stuff and i don't know i know 
I know when I was playing, you weren't even supposed to touch a weight, you know, and now they got kids on these weight programs and stuff like that. So it is hard to compare, but uh, there's definitely te- some teams back in those days that could, could definitely, I think, play with, with the teams today. Just collecting my thoughts too. Hempstead had four state championships from 1974 to 1983. I would have to say nobody's accomplished that since then. So those teams have to be pretty good players. I, I'll give them the nod. I, I can't wait to ask Coach Rapp about this the next time I talk to him, Coach Core. <laughs> Coach Rowling, how about you? How would your great teams that you had, how would they compare to the kids and the teams that are playing today? I kind of coached back then, but I kind of coach now as well. So I can, I've been involved in both things then, you know, a little bit. I think the teams back then, the good teams would do very well. I, I firmly believe that. There were some great pitchers, which these two guys have mentioned, and you put those pitchers on the mound against any of these teams to this day, and they will do extremely well, you know. I think the one thing that's different, I think because of all the baseball schools and all the – teaching and camps and everything else that goes on and parents are taking kids everywhere else, perfect game down to Florida to camps or whatever. I think there are more better players now. Back then, I think the top of the line is practically as good as the top of the line today. But I think there is more, more depth developed today because of all those things, you know, that I just mentioned here. So, but yeah, I, I think the teams would do very well. Uh, back then, I mean, some of some of the teams these two guys have had, you know, I can still remember. I mean, you put them on the field against anybody, you know, and they're going to compete very well. And I feel the same way about some of my top teams that we could play against anybody and compete. We we didn't care whether they were four A, three A, or two A or whatever. So yeah, I I think I don't think there's a a great deal of difference between the quality then and the quality now. Our next question again is for Ed Fan, and it is your top teams that you have ever coached, Coach Fan. Well, like I said earlier, the 90, uh, 1985 team was special. Um, the nineteen ninety two team was special. Um, I'll give a shout out to a nineteen ninety six team for a couple of reasons. Uh, one of them, we weren't supposed to be very good. We had a couple of players that were seniors and decided not to come out and everybody's going, Oh geez, you're going to miss them. You know, this is, you're going to be a terrible team this year and everything. And uh, we wound up winning the division in the conference that year. And so that was special. And uh, as a sidebar to it, and this, I know this sounds prejudiced, but my son was the catcher on the team. So it was, it was special to me in the fact that I got to coach my son, um, you know, in, in high school baseball, he'd been the bat boy and worked his way up through the freshmen and sophomores and, and to him be on the team and, and us winning the conference. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I got to say to win a conference championship in the, in the Mississippi Valley is quite a, an accomplishment. And I'm not just talking about our team, but I mean, there are some really good baseball teams in this conference, you know, and, uh, so, it, it's 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 a mark of and i'm not again i'm not just talking about water i'm just saying that if you you've got to have a pretty good team if you're going to win a conference because you're playing what 20 20 some games so you got to have overall good pitching you know and and play really well so 
winning a conference championship is is uh, quite an accomplishment, at least in the Mississippi Valley. But that was a special team. And uh, the 2002 team, we went to the state tournament also as a special team. But those four have special memories for, for me personally and for for as as team and the players and so forth. Coach Rowling, how about you? Some of your top teams or most memorable teams? Okay, first of all, the bet now at Holy Cross, Leo, we played fall and spring, uh, fall and spring ball. We did not play summer ball, so we only had like about a twelve game schedule in the fall and the spring, playing approximately twenty five games or so in a year. So, uh, probably of the five years that I was there, uh, probably the seventy three seventy four team and seventy five seventy six team were probably the two the best teams of, of those five years. At Cascade, uh, first of all, I'd just like to mention the state tournament teams. Obviously, you know, they're ones that are very deserving and they're special to us. Uh, the 82 team, uh, the 99 team, and the 04 team. So those were the three years we were fortunate to reach the state tournament. Uh, as far as other teams, there are so many other special teams that I had out there I could probably list 12 to 15 teams that would be special, and I just don't feel like I should mention that many. Uh, there was a six-year period there in which we averaged 32 wins per two, 32 wins per year from 97 to 02. So that was a very nice run that we had there at that time. Uh, during that stretch, there was a 28-game regular season winning streak that we had, and then that carried over into the uh, from one year to the next. And then also we won 40 out of 41 games at one point as well. So that's something that I, I feel pretty proud of. You know, uh, I, I guess I feel that I mentioned before a little bit, you know, about the 97 team at Cascade, you know, which, you know, had four players that went on to play at UNI. So that was a very talented team. But there were a number of other teams that were not far behind, if at all, of those teams. So I just feel very fortunate to have been associated with all those great teams out there. At Wallert, uh, probably, first of all, we did have a state tournament appearance in 2015. I think I hung on for a couple of years as a volunteer after that with Coach Tischer and helped out a couple of years in which he made it to the state tournament as well. Uh, the 2013 conference championship team is special. Uh, we had talked about, you know, conference championships being tougher to win sometimes than state championships. So that was not the most talented team, certainly, but they played well together. They worked hard. Uh, just a very good team chemistry. Uh, 2010 and 11 teams were probably the most talented teams out of that group. And when I think of all the teams that you guys had, I remember Coach Cora having Kevin Romberg, who went on to play with the Cleveland Indians, and you also had Colin Ray, who went on to play for the Padres and got traded to the Marlins and now is with the Cubs organization. Coach Cora, I met with players from your state championship teams yesterday. Not sure if this episode will come out before this one yet, but what about your top teams that you had coached? Well, going along with Ed, we always had a conference championship as the number one thing as a goal in our seasons. Because in tournaments, you could beat, have one bad day, like I said before, and you get beat and you're out. Where a conference, you had to play 20 or 25 games, so you could afford to have that bad day and still win. 
And we had 11 conference championships while I was coaching. And those teams all were great competitors. And I want to give them all the credit because they're the ones that, that uh, were just great competitors. But we did have some special, of course, the four state champions. And I didn't, haven't mentioned 1978. But 78 was a group of real competitors where there was no real star, but they were all excellent players. And as a, a compliment to the team, uh, in 1978, we only had a two-team turn, a two-class tournament, like it's eight, eight or nine games, winning streak to win. At that point, they uh, really played well. But when they got to this two games at state, we won it with 18 singles. We had an extra base hit. It was all singles, but they were just that kind of competitors that they won the state tournament fairly handily. And and it was just the kind of kids we've had at Hempstead. Uh, I have to mention the 83-84 state champions because there were six kids that competed the two years there that, again, were great ball players, very talented, but they were, again, the kind of guys that were just great competitors. They didn't understand the word losing, and they would fight you right to the last tooth and nail. And the 84 team was ranked number one the whole year and also won the state tournament. And there aren't many of those get ranked number one and you get knocked off right away. But they did it the whole year and wound up 30-3. and three. And uh, as a coach, you can't be prouder of a group of kids than that. When you went into a restaurant, you didn't worry about them stealing silverware. You worry about them tipping too much. That kind of kids they were give them all the credit in the world. But that was pretty much my whole career at Hempstead. It was a lot of very good kids. Now let's take a trip down memory lane here. We'll go to Coach Dick Corr first. Coach, who were some of the teams and the coaches that you enjoyed beating? All of them. <laughs> of course. Back back in my earlier days, I, Beckman was probably the big one to beat. They, they had the talent. Similar to what we had, they had great coaching. Uh, I mean, definitely a rivalry. And with uh, Wallert and Senior, of course, and Jerry at, at Cascade. But we used to play Wallert and Senior maybe three or four times a year. Um, those were big ones. The Cedar Rapids schools, there were a couple of Cedar Rapids schools. That when I first started, Jefferson was one to beat because they were the big winners all the time. Then it went to Washington. Uh I'm sorry, what else part of the question was there? What coaches did you enjoy beating as well? Oh, Ed and Jerry, of course. Uh, (laughs) I think we all enjoy winning games. I'm not going to pick out a lot of coaches, but yes, it was enjoyable to to win. Uh, Another one would have been uh, at Cascade uh, or at uh, Beckman back with uh, Art Hinger when he was there. He had some great teams, and he was a great coach. That was going way back into the late 60s. Um, there, were, yeah, there were some specials. Here, but I had good friendships with I think everybody. I, I didn't have any problems with coaches. I enjoyed them all. Coach Fan, how about you? Uh, some of the f- favorites for uh, beating teams and coaches? Team-wise, Obviously, the city games because, you know, everybody makes a big deal about inner city rivalry and stuff like that. So you always wanted to, to, to win the city games. But um, I know when a bulk of the time when, when I was coaching in the Mississippi Valley, 
uh, City High and uh, Xavier were, were very, very good. You know, Xavier had Ryan Sweeney. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he went on to play professionally. And I know every year it seemed like we were in the same division with either City High or Xavier. And, um, you know, we, we'd lose three or four games in the conference and they'd lose two or three. And usually when we play them, we lose one to nothing or beat them two to one or something like that. So beating City High and, and Xavier were uh, outside of the city games were always, always big rivalries for us with games to win coaching wise no there was no you know you're not trying to beat a coach or something like that that's kind of juvenile you know geez <laughs> like like dick said everybody is we just seem to get along some guys maybe were a little cockier than others and say yeah all right we stuck it to you tonight but you, you, for the most part they're all a bunch of great guys great guys and Coach Rowling, you probably have a little different perspective on this question, being in Cascade in a smaller school for so long. But what were some of those teams that you really enjoyed beating and, and coaches you enjoyed beating as well? Well, as far as the coaching thing, I agree with these two guys. I got along with all the coaches well, so I never you know, pointed at a certain game just because I want to beat this individual person or whatever. Uh, Team-wise, you know, whenever we played up, you know, against, you know, three A's and four A's and we were two A's certainly, you know, and stuff. And, you know, being at Wallert, there's some of the prominent schools in the Valley, you know, Kennedy was always one that, you know, had great personnel, you know, and stuff. And Prairie there at times. And, you know, all schools kind of had their runs, you know, and stuff. And Xavier certainly, you know, had some great teams. And I guess the teams, I mean, I can just think of John Keller from Xavier and A.J. Puck, who's now pitching, and both these guys are pitching in the majors, and I think we were fortunate to beat both those guys, you know, when we played them, and uh, there are some other names, Christensen boys, and Sweeney, I remember him coming to Cascade one time, and we were, I, th- I think we ended up beating him that day, but we walked him intentionally one time, and wasn't very happy about that when he got to first base, I know that, so... We're fortunate, I think, to win the ball game and everything. But, yeah, I mean, just all the schools, your big rivals, you know, Beckman, West Dubuque, certainly for us, Senior, Hempstead, Wallard, you know, and Dubuque here whenever we came into town. And so, yeah, those were the, those were the games that maybe somewhat a little more satisfying, but a win's a win. So Now, some of you guys have mentioned names already, but the next question and the last question from Dubuque County Sports on Twitter is, what were the most talented players that you've ever coached against? We've heard Ryan Sweeney. We heard Keller. We heard of A.J. Puck. Coach Fan, anybody you'd like to add to the list? Uh, no, actually, when you gave me those questions, Ryan Sweeney was the one guy that really stood out because, um, like I say, he'd come in, maybe pitch the first game of a doubleheader, and you know we'd beat him one to nothing, and he'd beat us one to nothing. And then he'd go and play, I think it was right field, and he'd have go three for four with a couple of doubles or a home run or something against us, you know. And he did that consistently for several years. So uh, he was probably the, the best one that I can think of off the top of my head. There were a couple of kids from City High, and I think there was a kid by the name of Mitchell, and uh, he was very good. Uh, Dick would remember him. Uh, you remember his first name, Dick? I don't remember. Brian, uh, Brian Mitchell. Brian, yes. Brian yeah. Mitchell, yeah. He's coaching now at Iowa City High. Is he? Okay. But uh, he was very good also. But, yeah, the Sweeney boy, you know, like I said, sticks out in my mind. 
Coach Rowling, any more that you'd like to add before we get Coach Kors' uh, opinion on some of the most talented players he's ever coached against? Uh, well, obviously, I mean, Dan and Ed both have had some talented ones too, but I guess I'm just thinking the ones out of town at this point. Tom Wegman from Beckman. He had ended up pitching AAA for a number of years there. He was a great player, a great pitcher. Uh, the Daniels kid that was the closer for the Hawkeyes last year, and he's in the minors now. Uh, or maybe it was two years ago even by this point. Uh, he was an outstanding pitcher. In uh, the Scott uh, from Cedar Rapids Prairie, he played with the Reds outfield, Shabler or something yep. like that, you know, I think. So uh, he was a great player too, obviously still in the majors playing actively at this point as well. Now we go to KDTH Sports and Coach Rowling, you're leading off turn. this question. I get a turn. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm give me sorry. a shot at that I, I did not mean to cut no, you off I'm there. not going to add a whole lot, but uh, I do remember uh, Mitchell, that Ed had mentioned from Iowa City, in a doubleheader at Hempstead one day, he hit two grand slams against us, one in each game, to win them both. And uh, he definitely was an outstanding player. We uh, did face a lot of others from, from uh, we met three Division One players Jerry had on one team one year, of course. He didn't mention them all, but uh, they had definitely made a name for themselves. Uh, we did have a player in Cedar Rapids many, many years ago by the name of Matisse. They even made a rule for him, the Matisse rule, that he uh, could not pitch against the same teams twice because they, he would pitch for against just the Cedar Rapids teams and beat all of them. He was an excellent ball player. And so we didn't have to see him. I was happy with that. But he was a great ball player. There was a lot of good ones, though. Uh, Coach Cork, 21 years later, is still uh, correcting me like he did 21 years ago on the baseball field. No no offense, Coach. I did not mean to skip you there. But this- okay, but I'll mention then, too, you always thought you were a great hitter, and I didn't let you hit uh, you did prove me wrong what you did hit a home run. Yeah, I, I could hit back in the day. Now, this next question comes in from KDTH Sports. Okay, as far as umpire encounters are concerned, uh, certainly there are two huge games for us that umpires certainly influenced the outcome of the game. Uh, first of all, I think it was in uh, at Cascade. I think it was the, let me see, year two, uh, 2000, or 97, rather. 97, in which the Mount Vernon game, which I talked about earlier a little bit, that was a tough, tough loss for this group of seniors and, and the entire team and coaches and everybody. Uh, but anyway, Mount Vernon, I was at their place, and uh, I think we were had three to two at the time in mid to late innings, and uh, they end up having runners on first and third, and I'm thinking there's two outs at the time, and our pitcher tries a pickoff move in which he steps to steps to third base, and uh, releases his back foot from the rubber so he can't commit a balk. And so he throws to first base and picks the guy off. And then as the rundown pursues, all of a sudden the umpire raises his hand and calls a balk. So uh, so anyway, a run score ties it up, and I think they proceed to score a couple runs after that. And then in talking to the umpire, that was probably one of the most upset I ever was in a game, I think, at an umpire you know, he was saying that the umpire or the pitcher stepped towards home plate rather than rather than third base. And I think we could even see the footprint out there, you know, and everything where his foot did hit and it was on the legal side. And but anyway, we argued as hard as we could. But 
to no avail as usually occurs, you know, when you and an umpire are getting a judgment call, you know, as we talked about, you know, at different times. Uh, yeah, so that was that was the Cascade game against Mount Vernon. Okay, the other game would have been uh, in 2007. Uh, this would have been the uh, conference championship game against Cedar Rapids Xavier, which I talked a little bit about earlier, you know, and stuff, and a huge game for us. And Xavier had great teams back then and everything. And, you know, here again was a time when we're in the uh, last inning. We had a chance to walk it off. You know, we had bases loaded and a left-hander at the plate, suicide on, and uh, it ended up, you know, he ends up getting hit by a curveball, you know. There again, he never, his judgment, the umpire's judgment, you know, is that he turned into, and our judgment is he tried to turn away at the end because the curveball was coming in at him, and, you know, they're they're going off the field thinking they lost, and we're as excited as can be, thinking we won a conference championship in the Valley, which is something that's, you know, very precious, you know, to conference teams. And so anyway, it ended up that, Put the, put the runners back on base and put the batter in the box and end up where they won in extra innings that game. And that was a, a tough one to swallow. And to this day, I mean, both umpires, I can distinctly remember their names. And <laughs> just one of those things, you know, you like to think, you know, earlier in the game, maybe you could have done something at that point, which wouldn't have, you know, put us in this situation. But still, we're in it and we have a chance to win it. And we think we win it and then it's taken away from Cor, did you have a favorite encounter with an umpire? Yes, I did. But uh, I was one of those. I did have a few uh, arguments with umpires, but fortunately my voice doesn't carry very well, and they didn't hear it. But we did have one down at Cedar Rapids Jefferson once with a pair of umpires that Ed Fan knows well because they, I think, gave him an early out a couple times. Just <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll get to that, Jack. We'll get to that. Want to in the <laughs> but... Uh, it was, we had men on we had men on first and second, nobody out, and a ball hit the right field, right up against the fence. Their fielder went out. I don't know if he caught the ball or not. It was very questionable, but it definitely ended up on the ground. And the base umpire is out there waving, safe, safe, safe. And my two runners on first and second take off and get another base in. Meanwhile, the home plate umpire was out there calling out. He was out in the middle of the, about the pitcher's mound giving the outside. And, uh, of course, the Jefferson coach noticed that, and he started yelling for his outfielder to get the ball back in, and they takes first. And the home umpire says, that's a triple play. Mm. He said, no, wait a minute. The runners on first and second saw the guy giving the safe sign, they can't see the whole plate umpire trying to overrule him. How can you do that? Well, they had a little powwow and decided it was a triple play because the home, home, home plate umpire is the umpire in chief, and he overruled the one in right field. And I didn't argue because I knew the problems that Ed had with these guys. And uh, so I just went back to third base. And my way by at the end of the inning, the home plate umpire says, Dick, why didn't you argue with us? He said, we'd probably listen to you. And I said, because you're famous for throwing coaches out. I don't want to get thrown out. He just kept on walking. I don't know what kind of expression he had or whatever, but that was one with umpires that I didn't make an argument, but I was 
I don't know. I should have, but I didn't. I, I wonder why a home plate umpire is out that far even questioning a ball that would be caught. But I, I'm waiting for this because uh, Coach Core kind of tipped us off here a little bit. Coach, fan favorite encounter with an umpire. It sounds like we're in, in uh, store for a good story here. Well, this isn't, this isn't something I'm proud of, but I guess looking back on it, it's, it's kind of humorous now. But same umpire um, down at Linmar not one year, what, in two different years, uh, threw me out of a game. So I've been thrown out of two high school games in my career by the same umpire. The first time, the second one, you'll really get a kick out of The first time, we our dugout was right by first base, and there was a call at first base that, you know, you we could see, and, and it was, I, in my opinion, he missed the call, and it took us out of a big inning. So I went out, and I, you know, argued a little bit with him, and he was the kind of umpire, and I'm glad Dick said something because I thought maybe it was just me, but he was the kind of umpire that you didn't really question anything with him. And right away, you know, get back in the dugout, coach, get out of here. You're not, you know, well, I got a little riled up about it. And so we wound up going toe-to-toe, but the the thing was, I guess it was pretty funny because he's six foot six, this umpire, and I'm, you know, on a good day with long spikes on, I'm maybe 5'8". And so basically I was, he, I was uh, nose to belly button with him arguing and he didn't take much of it and, and he threw me out of the game. Okay. So that's then two years later, we go back down to Linmar and I think the, the coach down there did this on purpose, same crew. Okay. So this guy's behind the plate the first game and uh, Linmar wins on a walk off home run and our catcher swears to God that the kid came around and didn't touch home plate. So we appealed it, but you know, that's kind of here and there. And, and, uh, so I'm in the dugout making out the lineup for the second game. My assistant coach is up in the bathroom and getting something to eat. And it was my assistant coach. That was his son. That was the catcher. Well, he happens to run into the umpire up there and the two of them get into it up in the concession stand. And they're arguing with each other. And I guess the umpire called my assistant coach some names and stuff like that. So he comes down into the dugout and he tells me about this. So I take the lineup card out for the second game. And I said something to him. One thing led to another. I got kicked out before the game even started. (laughs) So I don't know. That might might be a a first in Iowa high school baseball. I'm not sure, but there's nothing to out of but looking back at it, I guess it was kind of funny but I don't know how many coaches have been kicked out before the game even started but uh, he he was actually a big 12 basketball official and uh, he's a policeman and he had, he had one of the shortest fuses I've ever seen on an umpire I mean we had some guys Jerry can relate, relate to uh, the Gleason brothers Blair and Tom a couple of the nicest best umpires in the area and I've gotten into some arguments with them but they were always willing to listen and then you know you said your piece they said what they thought you go back to the dugout and over but this guy would have none of it but uh yeah that's my baseball umpiring confrontations i guess you could say but nothing to be proud of but uh um you know it's it is what it is but it was it's kind of funny that i got kicked out before the game even started (laughs) my players my former players giving me a big a big 
a hard time about that every time I see him. It's always it's always good to reminisce. Uh, this question came in from Joseph Spinoso. Coach Corey, you're up first. Did you coach for the love of the game or the love of working with kids? I'd say yes. I love both. Uh, I was very lucky to have two great coaches in high school and college. I had Ed McNeil, who was at Fort Dodge and a Hall of Fame coach, and Cap Tim at Iowa State, who was a national Hall of Fame coach. And they were both real students of the game and really taught us about baseball, about life. Actually, Coach McNeil was the the, uh, chairperson for the athlete christian athletes uh organization in iowa and uh, the kind of person he was i learned a lot from those two guys and i tried to to do the same things as a coach when i was in high school and uh i just learned to love the game and to truly understand the game and the consequences of what you may do or may not do in practice even and trying to coach the kids to learn the game and love the game. And I I give them all the credit in the world. Coach Fan, how about you? Did you coach for the love of the game or the love of working with kids? Same thing, exactly. Like I said earlier, that's why I got into coaching because I liked working with kids and I liked baseball in particular. And that that's why I wanted to do what I wanted to do. And so um, no question, both of those things. Coach Rowling? I'd say the same thing for both. I think the first, first of all, what happened was the love of the game. And then I just saw the rewards and working with the kid players was just outstanding. So yeah, both. Coach Core, if you passed up a salary of uh, astrophysics, space engineering, whatever you turned down there, you must have uh, had a love of working with children. Now, you probably know this guy well, uh, Jerry Rowling, our next question comes from Marv Mullert, who is the voice of the Wallard Golden Eagles. And Coach Fan, you're up first. You guys are all very even keeled. Younger coaches can be a little bit more excitable when it comes to certain situations or calls. Was it your calmness due to was your calmness due to multiple years of coaching or just your personalities? Well, Obviously, Mr. Mullert was never down at Lenmar because <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he'd say that about me now. But uh, for the most part, you know, like I say, I think it was more of a personality thing than, than a, an umpire issue. But um, I, when I was younger, especially, I had a little bit of a temper and I can still get excited once in a while. So I'm not sure that I'm totally calm, cool, and collected all the time. But uh, um, like the other guys said, you respect the umpires, and, and like I, like I said earlier too, you don't find many coaches associations that that uh, have their clinics with umpires, the coaches and the umpires together, and we have a banquet together and honor the umpires, and and so um, it was just a just the way it was, and so but I can't say that I was always Mr. Calm and Cool, obviously. <laughs> Coach Rowling, how about you? Uh, I think somewhat my personality, but the the coaches that I looked up to at a younger age, the three I mentioned earlier, you know, the you know, like Lombardi and Wooden and those people, you know, and stuff, Dean Smith, they were more calm and more composed in the sidelines and everything. And I think that probably influenced me a little bit. And some of the high school and college coaches back then as well. Uh, I think, you know, like uh, there are a few that I would 
get excited and I seem to get more excited about my lack of execution by my team or my lack of readiness, my team and a little more excitable with the players than I would be with the umpires. That's just play. Uh, Ed, did Marv when you were there? No, we usually no, had, uh, no, we had students that uh, did the PA for okay. us. Okay. I thought you would have remembered him as well, but yeah. So anyway, that's, that's my part of it. So coach core. How about you? I know Mark quite well too. Uh, I would say just a little bit different with these guys. It's a different aspect. Is my previous high school and college coaches, they were great role models, and they wanted to teach you to be a good role model. And I think getting out of that frame, inside I was churning a lot. Sometimes there's no question. I'm sure there are a few times I got out. You may have seen it, but very often. It was because I wanted to be a good role model for them. I didn't want to show them that uh, you have to fly off the handle to do something or or uh, get angry. Uh, there's always another time, and I just tried to set a good role model for the players. Thanks for listening to part one of our two-part series, the Hall of Fame Roundtable with Coach Ed Fayen, Coach Dick Core and Coach Jerry Rowling, and I would like to thank them for joining me. Tune in next week when they talk about specialization of baseball, they talk about launch angle, and they break down drills that they feel are still valuable to players today, and also for you coaches out there, how to set up a properly organized and run practice. And then they do end part two with our closing time part. So make sure you tune into that. Until next time, 643, we're out of here.